Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete. I'm Kerry Rouse, and I travel to racetracks around the U.S., where I interview members of the racing community and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I am here with Homer, and we are at the Bristol Motor Speedway, and we are specifically in the booth right behind the drag strip of Thunder Valley, this right is where here. where it all happens, man. And if you can see, this this is like the best spot. You can see down that track. How long is that track? Seven-tenths of a mile. Okay, now do you... That's not the question I think you meant to ask. No, that. no, I know. I did want to ask that. Okay. But do you typically do an eighth mile? Uh, the races? World Foot Brake Challenge was here, yeah. uh, which is Jared Pennington's deal. And uh, he, uh, he ran to the eighth mile. Uh, which is where you see the little quad stand down there halfway to the scoreboards. The scoreboards are at the quarter mile. So I see. Okay. I do see where it says finish line yeah. about halfway there. Yeah. There wasn't one on the left side till the rainstorm came through yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it's laying on its side down there now. But so yeah, it's but it's point seven to the gravel trap. So Okay. Um, hopefully you don't have to use it very often. No, no. We've seen some go in there though. But what's interesting is uh, when you get up on the roof and we will before you leave. Yeah. When you look to the scoreboards, it's a quarter of a mile, and when you realize that it's nearly three times that far to the gravel trap, you swear you don't have time to stop. Yeah. From, it's an illusion from up there. It looks yeah. like it's just another quarter of a mile. You know? mm -hmm. Wow. Well, okay, so tell me a little bit about your role here at this facility. Okay. Um, and, and then, you know, maybe I'll find out some cool stories that you have. So, about. well, okay, actually my role is kind of an odd story. Okay. Um, I am, uh, I've since retired, but I, I owned a company called the Accident Avoidance Workshops. And that's a teen driving program that's like teen driving on steroids. And we used to host them here at, at Bristol Motor Speedway and at Atlanta Motor Speedway and a lot of the high schools in the Georgia area. So I was up in the parking lot setting up, uh, setting up my course and Jeff Bird came by, the late great Jeff Bird, Mr. Exceed Expectations, former president of Bristol. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came by and says, hey, come on over to the drag races. We're going drag racing. And it was Thursday night. And it was just Thursday night street fights, you know, which is pay 10 bucks, go down the track. It's a way to get them off the streets, yep. get them to come in here and do it where you've got timing. You can grudge race your friends. There's ambulance if you need it, you know, mm -hmm. all the safety stuff in place. Well, as soon as I showed up, um, I called Mr. Bird and I said, uh, where are you? I was trying to figure out which grandstand he was in, you know. He says, uh, I'm in the tower. I said, oh, okay, well, then I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. He says, no, come on in the tower. And I'm going, wow, you know. <laughs> so I walk in the tower here and uh, Jeff Bird is here and Brandon Cross is here. Jack Coughlin's here. All the Bristol team is here. And I'm like hugging up against the wall because I'm going, man, I'm so intimidated, you know. But uh, one of the cars went down the track and uh, left a trail of transmission fluid the whole length of the track. And anybody who knows anything about drag racing knows that's an hour plus to clean up. Yeah. So the marketing guy said, I'm going to go out and entertain the crowd. You know, why don't you come with me? I said, okay. So I go out there and we're throwing shirts into the stands and everything. And we got all done and uh, we ran out of shirts and we still had about a half hour to go. And he made the grave mistake of handing me a wireless microphone, and he said, entertain the crowd, and he left. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'd never even <laughs> held a microphone before. 
So uh, I was over there, and I'm teasing all the Earnhardt fans, taking their hats off, you know, and I'm asking them dumb old trivia questions, and we just had the best time. And uh, they were running down to collect their prizes, and it was just fun. It was I've always been kind of a loudmouth, you know, so... <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I walked back in, and Jeff Bird says, I need to talk to you in the hallway, and Brandon Cross says, we need you to be our announcer, and, and that's how, <laughs> you know, so you never know what you're going to trip into. He, I said, dude, I live in Atlanta. How am I, I going to do the announcing here? Well, they later made it clear that you just come up for some special events we have. Well, the first one I did was this, I better say it right since we're on a podcast. Yeah. <clears throat> the Wright Trailers National Hot Rod Association Summit Racing Equipment Junior Drag Racing League Eastern Conference Finals presented by Mike Boss Chassis Craft. Okay. Which I have to say 400 times in the next eight days. Yeah, you'll get it. <laughs> so uh, so at any rate, they brought me in for that, and that was, that was 12 years ago. Okay. So uh, this has now become the one place uh, that I like to be every year. Uh, there's no place on earth I would rather be than sitting here in this cube, 60 degrees, because there's no thermostat in this room, watching these kids scream and holler at each other going down the drag strip. So tell me a little bit about, you said the kids, what, what, is, what is it other than the, 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 the grandiose title? Junior drag racers, um, it all started a long time ago when uh, a kid in New Jersey couldn't catch football. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of stealing Alan Reinhardt's story. Okay. Um, but uh, basically he had no athletic ability, but he wanted to compete in something. And he told his dad, Vinny Knapp, he says, hey, I'm, you know, since we're here at English Town, can't can't you build me a dragster? So five horse lawnmower engine and a bunch of conduit and an old castrol sign for a body, and they made a dragster, right? So what do you do with one dragster? Nothing. <laughs> you got to have two, or you can't race, right? Yeah, yeah. So they built another one. Well, next thing you know, people are like, hey, build me, hey, build, you know, and then enter drag racers. Hey, never mind the lawnmower engine. We're talking billet aluminum. Let's talk, you know. Next thing you know. You've got Eastern Conference Finals coming here, which is the largest junior dragster race in the world. It has been for a dozen years or so. Wow. How many competitors? Um, we, so far this year, I think we've got 430 okay. registered. Yep. Uh, we just had the Western Conference Finals over in Denver, which had 200 registrants. But that's they're a little, it's a little more sparse out there. You have to travel further. Mm -hmm. and so we understand that. <clears throat> more densely populated out here. But... We've drawn them from four different countries, uh, 36 states a year, Alaska, Hawaii, California, Arizona, Texas, Nevada, Utah. Um, they just come from all over the place. So the gates will open on Friday, and then we just have a bunch of support races until we start time trials on Thursday and eliminations on Friday for the, for the big event. Got it. So, yeah. Um, is there, like, prizes for them? Uh, yeah. You know what? This is so not about that. I can't rattle that right off the top of my head, but yeah. I know there is uh, there is a purse. Yep. And uh, I, I don't dare quote what I think it is, but you know, if you really stop and think about it, these kids are running between 7.9 seconds and 13.9 seconds, somewhere around there. So mm -hmm. if you average that, the average kid's making about 10 seconds mm -hmm. down the track. Well, each race, because of the number of competitors, since it's single eliminations. We may have seven rounds. Yep. You know, so if you win the race, you've made seven passes down the racetrack at 10 seconds apiece. If you win a race, you spent just over a minute with your foot on the gas. Right. 
and there's only half a dozen races, you know, that you can compete in here. So realistically, you do the math, these kids are spending less than 10 minutes here racing. Yeah. You don't come for the races, you come for the faces. Yeah. This is a reunion more than it is anything else. Yep. You know, so that's what I like about this. What What are the cars like? Is it a wide range of cars, or what, what are the parameters? On there this? are several manufacturers of the cars. Um, the they're built on uh, they're built basically half scale. In fact, that's one of the manufacturers, half scale dragsters. Uh, whereas the top fuel dragster is a three hundred inch wheelbase. These are one hundred and fifty. Okay. Okay. And <clears throat> you can start when you're five. You can't compete when you're five, but you can make passes down the track, solo passes, when you're five years old. Now, of course, they restrict the speed. Mm -hmm. They only allow you to run certain miles an hour, and it's the parent's job to tune it, you know. And uh, But they're running 30-ish uh, miles an hour. And by the time they age out at 18, they're running 70, 75, sometimes 80 miles an hour. If you run more than 85, you're, you're sent home. Oh, really? You know, oh, yeah. They don't, they don't want you. That's, that's, this is not about speed. This is bracket racing as opposed yeah. to heads-up racing. So that's a new term for me. Someone tried to explain it. I didn't quite understand it. Bracket so, racing? Bracket racing. I'm going to oversimplify this, but you, you help clarify for sure. people. But uh, my understanding is everybody competes against everybody, and even if you have a slower car, you can still win. Exactly. Okay. So how? How? Okay. What kind of car do you drive? Uh, well, I drive a truck now. Well, what do you drive? Uh, a Colorado. Oh, no kidding. Chevrolet Colorado. Yes. Okay. So, <clears throat> I drive a, uh, oh, let's pick something fun. A 1983 Ford Thunderbird Turbo, Turbo Coupe. Okay. Okay. So, I get in the left lane, you get in the right lane. Who do you think is going to win? Well, I guess if it's bracket, we don't know. Well, if it's heads up racing. Oh, you're going to win. Right. So let's, I win. So let's try it again. Who's going to win this time? Oh, you. Now you see what's, why heads up racing yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. Everybody thinks heads up racing is light turns green, first one on the finish line wins. That's what the general perception of drag racing is. Right. That's the general perception because that's really all it's televised. You know, when you see the John Forces and the Tony Schumachers and all that. They're here, first one of the finish line wins. Okay. You know, so since that's what people think it is, that's what they think all of drag racing is. That's not the fun part of drag racing. The fun part is bracket racing. Okay. Bracket racing means, let's go back to your truck, your Colorado and my Thunderbird. Mm -hmm. We make a quarter mile pass. And I'm just going to make up numbers yep. here. Okay. Yep. I run it. In fact, I'll make nice round numbers. Okay. Okay. I run it in 10 seconds. And it took you 15. Yep. Okay. And we do it again. We get pretty close to the same results. Okay. So bracket racing, you have to establish what's called a dial-in. And that is your prediction on what you think you're going to run. Okay. You tell the control room, hey, I'm going to run this thing in 15 seconds. I tell them I'm going to run it in 10. Okay. You get a five-second head start. Okay. Now, of course, all the flares are going off in your head saying, well, that's I, I could just lie about my time and... <laughs> blow him away every time, right? There's two ways to lose a bracket race. Okay. The first way, you can lose it at the start line, you can lose it at the finish line. You can lose it at the start line by leaving before the light turns green. Okay. You want a positive reaction time, not a negative reaction time, yep. right? If the red light comes on because you left before the green light comes on, you're done. Mm. Okay? If you both leave too early, whoever left first is done. I mean, whoever red lit the worst. Got right? it. You can also lose it at the finish line by running faster than you said you were going to run. 
Okay. So if you decide, I'm going to sandbag and tell Homer I'm going to run this thing in 18 seconds, and I'm going to blow him away by running at 15, you go right ahead. I win because you ran faster than you said you're going to run. Does that make sense? It does. Okay, now, now that you understand that, here's how all bracket racing is scored. Okay. It's by the package. Whoever has the smallest package wins, and the package is the sum of the two numbers. How quick was your reaction time after the light turned green? Yeah. And how close did you come to your number without running faster than your number? Got it. Okay. In other words, I could leave exactly when the light turns green mm -hmm. and run exactly 15 seconds, right, and have a perfect package. It is possible to be perfect in bracket racing. Yeah. Okay. Rare. I've been announcing 12 years. I think I've only seen four or five of them. So it's rare. Yep. Um, but if you have, let's say that uh, you're running the 15 seconds, right? Mm -hmm. yep. well, let's say it took you a second to leave the line. Yep. Okay, so there's one second added onto your package. And let's say that you said you're going to run 15 seconds, but you ran 15 and a half. Yep. One well, and your, a half. your package is one and a half seconds. Right. Okay. I get up there with my Thunderbird, much faster car. And my reaction time was much faster than yours. My reaction time was a half a second. But I missed my dial-in by two seconds. So my package is two and a half seconds. Yeah. Okay? You had a second and a half. I had two and a half seconds. You win. You came closer to a perfect run than I did. You're measured exclusively on your performance. How quick did you leave the line? And how close to your number did you get? The car had nothing to do with it. Jack the car up as much as you want. You still got to hit that number. Yep. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. The, at the finish line, when I let's say my my number's fifteen. Okay. And I took a whole second before I left. Okay. If I take fourteen, then more fourteen more to get to the finish line. My total's fifteen. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Your ET is measured from when you leave okay. the start line. Yeah. Until you cross the okay, that Okay, that makes sense. And then there's got to be some kind of psychology with, I'm assuming you can change your number Absolutely. race to race. Absolutely. Now why would somebody, like, do that? Many, well, uh, <laughs> wow. Because these guys have weather stations in their trailers. Okay. They know the relative humidity. They know the water grains. They know the air density. They know the adjusted altitude. They know all this stuff. And there's actually a guy called Crew Chief Pro, Don Higgins, who writes a great program that you input all this data and you can input other people's data. In fact, I think it automatically downloads some of it so that depending on who you're going up against, you know what their dialing is, what they've been running, and so on and so forth. And you're tuning everything to the thousandth. And a lot of these guys go down there and they want their car to run faster than the possible time. They want it to be capable of running faster than their predicted time because when they get down to the finish line, you can't believe the head games that are going on between the racers. You talk about psychology. Sometimes if you have a horrible reaction time, if you race the guy down there and then slam on the brakes at the last second, you may be able to sling him through faster than he predicted, get him to break out, and then you win the race having made up for that horrible reaction time. <laughs> oh my gosh, you can't believe the head games that go on. All right. But remember back to that package? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what was your package? A second and a half minus two and a half seconds. Yeah, okay, yeah. so package is the all-important number. Mm -hmm. Okay, During the Junior Drag Racing League, the Eastern Conference Finals, if you can't consistently run a package inside of 30 thousandths of a second, you're not competitive in this race. Oh my gosh! 
Wow. You just can't believe it. You just can't believe the, the nuances and the science that's behind that. And you know what? That's a lot more interesting than, oh, green light came on here because he made it the first across the line. And that's just, I mean, is it even tighter for like the pros outside of the, the number you gave me, is that for kids or is that for the adults? The 10 and 15 seconds? Uh, no, the 30 thousandths. No, that's for kids. That's, That's for, for kids. the kids. Yes. Is, there, is there a similar number for adults? It's, is it even tighter? Or? Um, you know, I think when you get the bigger vehicles, it take longer to get moving and, and more room for air uh, and everything. I think it probably widens up, but the skill level tightens it back up. So I don't think there's a, a measurable difference. Okay. You know, I may be completely wrong. Some, but, you know, anybody could argue that either way. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, to see these kids out there, you know, that are... They say the perfect reaction time, of course, is 0. 0.000, right? Well, they often go double O this or double O that, 0 0.003, 0 0.07, you know, or whatever. <laughs> Sometimes they go they go triple zero, and, of course, old Uncle Homer's got to be the, the hero, right? So they come up here, and they get a special sticker for the car. This is, I want trip zip on the tree. Oh, nice. Right? <laughs> so when they do that, of course, these kids run to the tower to get their decal because that's a badge of honor that goes on the side yeah, of the car. Heck yeah, you know? probably get a bunch of them on there. <laughs> yeah, and even if they go 007, I play the James Bond theme song and I give them a quick draw <laughs> sticker, you know, James Bond 007. If they also go down there and they said they were going to run 7.90 and they run 7.90 with a zero, I mean, absolutely dead with a donut on the end of it, yep. they get a dead donut on the style. On the, the dial stick. <laughs> But the best stickers you can possibly earn, as far as I'm concerned, and this is where the coolest part of junior drag racing comes in. I was up here, oh, I suppose this was seven or eight years ago, and one of the kids went down the track, and it was a younger kid, so he's only going like 40 or 45 miles an hour, right? So I'm sitting here watching him. He goes across the finish line. He deploys his parachute. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yes. Pow! This thing goes. I went, oh, that was the coolest thing ever. I yelled, pow, over the PA. And everyone, you know, scared the heck out of most people. They thought somebody hit the wall or something like that, you know. <laughs> I said, that was the greatest thing ever. Well, next thing I know, there's people coming in front of my tower here, because the staging lanes are right over here. Yeah. Right? They're coming under the tower, and they're waving that remove before flight tag that goes in the parachute. Yeah. Hey, my kid's going to hang the parachute too. Hanging the laundry is what they call it. I right? see. Yeah. 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 So next thing you know, I'm yelling, probably 30 or 40 kids go down there, hang the parachute. Pow! You know. <laughs> and uh, so the next year I had the stickers made uh, <laughs> that say pow, right? <laughs> and then some kids, believe it or not, they've got two parachutes <laughs> in the back of their car. <laughs> and uh, so... Along comes uh, the late, great Dawson Gilliatt, who is the king, uh, retired king of parachutes. And, you know, I've never seen a car with three parachutes on it. Just, just, not even the pro guys have more than two, right? But Dawson, he's got two chutes on the back of his car, and he says, I know what I'm going to do. He finds uh, another person that has two chutes on the back of their car. And they went, he just told me, hey, we're hanging the laundry. I said, okay. So I'm looking for pow, pow, you know. And all of a sudden, both lanes, two shoots. And that's how pow, 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 pow <laughs> was born in NHRA drag racing. And last year, I yelled pow 
332 times over the course of the weekend. So that's become their badge of honor. But that also explains all the pow, pow, you know, everything oh, you see yeah. all over here. I've even got, you know, the old sign to hang it on. Pow! <laughs> so that's kind of what I've become. I'm just an eight-year-old kid at heart anyway, so I'm up here having as much fun as they are. So did you move from Atlanta here? No, I still live in Marietta. Still live in Atlanta. Yeah. So uh, it's like my second home, you know. Now, how many events do you make it up here? Uh, well, I also announced for the uh, uh, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, okay, uh, which is big cars, but also <laughs> the little cars play along too. And uh, I think for six of the last seven years, I've been the uh, MC at the Division Two Banquet that we started off in Jekyll Island, and it moves to various places. Mm -hmm. But uh, all because some guy slung a transmission line off the side of his car out here. You know, that I wound up even having a microphone in my hand to begin yeah, with. Yeah, that is, that's amazing. So it's kind of funny. So I admire, you know, with the whole podcast thing, it's a whole new chapter, man. You, yeah. never, you never know what it can turn into. You don't. I mean, I have made, it's it's interesting the people you meet that you would have never thought that you had met. I mean, I, I've i established some friendships and uh, know some people at Skip Barber Racing School, and uh, they've helped me. Um, kind of helped set me up in my RV whenever I go to VIR, I'm covering Excellent. a race. And I'm trying to go to all the, the SRO races where they're, they've got some pro, they've got th uh, five cars I think they're racing. Um, actually three cars. But um, yeah, I, I, try to, I try to follow them at all the races and then you know, put stuff together for them and yeah. interview the drivers and things like that. And, uh, I've gotten to meet a couple of uh, team owners, which has been pretty cool. So maybe I'll get an opportunity to cover more teams and uh, just see where that goes. You just got to find out where the need is and fill the need, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I've been told there's a, there's a big need in dirt racing. And I, I've never even been to a dirt race. But they said, man, the fans are big. Yeah, they really are. I, I, one of the things on my bucket list was to go to the Knoxville Nationals. That is the granddaddy. That's the Daytona 500 of sprint car racing. Okay. okay? And my dad used to race sprint cars back in the Midwest. So uh, I said, yeah, I got to go do that someday. So I lost my father in 2012. So in 2013, I actually went to distribute his ashes at certain special places, you know, and one of them was Sturgis. And then on the way home, I swung through Knoxville, Iowa. And I, I showed up with no ticket. I'm going, man, I'm going to be scalping. You know, I don't know. I don't know how all this works. You go to Daytona 500 without a ticket, you're hurting, you mm -hmm. know. So I parked uh, alongside the road, which is just outside the racetrack. And I looked for somebody that looked like a local. I said, how in the world does one go, go about getting a ticket? He said, right over there. See that ticket booth going up there and tell them you want a ticket. <laughs> I said, what? He says, just go buy a ticket. I said, really? He says, yeah. I went up, bought a ticket, just like that. Nothing to it. And it was great. It was fantastic. But there's a different mentality at a dirt track. It's it's not as commercial. It's not as yeah. arm's length. You're right there. Even though you can't get like down in the pits like you do at an NHRA race, the races are very reachable. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I kind of made up my mind, I need to hit one of these every year at a different track. This is really kind of neat, you know. But drag racing is, drag racing is second to none as far as racers helping each other. Mm -hmm. There was one driver here, it was just a local event, and uh, 
he did a wheel stand in the left lane and when his wheels finally made it all the way to where they started to come back down, the whole cockpit of his car filled with fire. Oh, Lord. And we scrambled, you know, and we got out there. And what had happened is his transmission had exploded. And part of the transmission came up through the floorboard, took off his right pinky, and went up through the dash and went out the windshield. It was a violent explosion. And we immediately got him all bandaged up, took him off to the hospital, and a few hours later he came back. And he had you know, third-degree burns on his feet, because this was just a tennis shoes, blue jeans, and t-shirt kind of race. It wow. wasn't like the Thunder Valley Nationals. Yeah. But uh, in the manufacturer's midway that they always have, where you can go buy parts and accessories and knickknacks and stuff like that, there was a model shop. A guy had a trailer set up like a model shop. And he had a plastic model of this guy's car, a 1970 Duster. Okay? It wasn't his specific car but yeah well if you're a car guy you know what it's like when you're sick what do you do when you're sick you build a plastic model i mean that's just what you do right so i went over there he had a duster it was 24 bucks so i got on the pa and i said hey everybody we're gonna buy this guy a car that he can build while he recovers when he gets back home i need 24 guys to come down here and bring me a dollar so i can go get this car two models a new 727 transmission, and $3,500 later, we were done collecting. <laughs> it's, it's drag racing. Yeah. It's drag racing. Everybody helps everybody. You go all the way back to uh, Don Prudhomme and Cheryl Greer. There were stories where one borrowing parts from another that nearly put him out in the final. I mean, it goes way back. Everybody's, it's a different mentality of drag racing. And that's the neat thing about going to a national event. You can walk right down and watch them start their engines and warm up and work on the engines and everything right there most accessible sport in the world yeah that's awesome i mean i <clears throat> this is the first time i've been to one it's and this this facility is just god so impressive with the hills and everything it's it just really it comes out of nowhere I, w I was like what is that driving down the road i just couldn't believe the size of everything yeah if you come i typically come in off the lower exit and i'm driving in and it says you're a half mile away i'm going i'm in the woods yeah what in the world do you mean I'm a half mile away? And then you come around and this bank of trees goes away and here's Bristol Motor Speedway sticking up out of nowhere and you go, holy cow. Yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Now, did you, did you do some racing? Uh, yes, yes. I own, uh, actually own six racetracks. <laughs> okay. I do. And um, in fact, you can rent cars to race on my racetracks. Okay. Um, and you name it, we've got it. We've got cup cars, we've got Formula One cars, we've got Indy cars, we've got sports cars, we've got anything, anything you want. Uh, you're familiar with them, they're called slot cars, HO scale slot cars, you know. They've got seven racetracks in my house <laughs> and uh, about 400 cars that you can come and play with anytime. anytime. Did I have you go in there a little bit? A little just, bit, yeah, I was like, <laughs> where are these tracks at? Why haven't I heard of this place? No, my dad used to race sprint cars, so I've always had a love for cars, but I never, uh, you know, short of a couple of passes down here in my Trailblazer during Thursday night street fights, yeah, I've never uh, never gone out and raced. Well, man, yeah, this this is something else. I mean, uh, do you ever, um, what other tracks have you announced at? Um, uh, Rockingham, Gainesville, the late great Atlanta Dragway, um, Silver Dollar Motorsports Park, South Georgia Motorsports Park, Carolina Dragway. Um, Jimmy Owen out there uh, does a great job with that. They just resurfaced part of it, and he's a good guy. Um, yeah, basically anywhere they invite me. Is, is, and then uh, do you have a favorite? Well, you're sitting in it. Yeah, yeah. You're sitting in it. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this was, what do they say? You never forget your first. Yeah. <laughs> yep. This is where I cut my teeth, you know, so.
I remember the first year it was a train wreck. I look back at it and it wasn't nearly what it is today, you know, because I was learning. I was trying to trying to help out and wound up stepping on my toes a couple of times and got in trouble with a couple of people. And uh, <laughs> just just like you do in drag racing, I just dragged them outside and said, man, I'm sorry. I screwed it up and it won't happen again, you know. Yeah. And, and, and they they I think they value that. You know, so in a world where people don't say, I'm sorry anymore, mm-hmm. somebody steps up and said, wow, I screwed that up. You know, it's like, yeah, I can work with this guy. So, yeah. and they have, they keep inviting me back. So I don't know if they're crazy or what, but. Uh, now, do you have other family who kind of follow this journey you're on? No, I'm a homely child okay. or uh, an only child. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, mom told me I could marry anybody I please. I just never pleased anybody. That's yeah, all, so. there you go. <laughs> so. That's funny. Um. Yeah. So, other than that one explosion you described, I imagine you've seen some pretty crazy stuff at the track. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I've only been witness to one fatality, um, and and that's that's something to behold. Yeah. You know, uh, not just from that, but when you're in the announcing position, there's is so much education on you know what you can and can't say what you yeah. should and shouldn't do and yep. you got to do everything with respect it just makes you think about things that you wouldn't have thought about otherwise you know um this was a situation where the guy could honestly say he died doing what he loved to do mm-hmm. you know yeah um but uh that's 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 few and far between it really is when you consider it there's so i mean nhra was founded on safety yeah you know in fact, their original logo is dedicated to safety, right on it. So I admire this. And sanctioning bodies are hard to come by. They're going to stand up and spend the money to do it right, you know. And they're the first to get ridicule, and sometimes it's just not justified. Now, I couldn't do it better myself. I'll guarantee you that. Yep. You know. Well, have you ever seen any unbelievable? I don't know. Come from behind, crazy victories that somebody's had, or. It's, I mean, all these victories, especially the bracket racing, are so impressive with so many people that they have to beat to get to the end. Yeah. Um, I think the most spectacular thing I saw, let me think. We're going to have to come back to it because I, I, sure. I, I need to remember some stuff, but I'll, I'll circle back to that in a minute. There was, um, now you weren't here for this past week weekend right the thunder valley nationals yeah with, yes oh you were yes so then there was a lot of competitors in that thing wasn't it there that were was... a lot of competitors um uh alan reinhardt is the official voice of the nhra okay a lot of people this, this may be earlier than you but he is to nhra drag racing as jim mckay was to the wide world of sports back in the day okay you know the agony of defeat guy mm-hmm. um <clears throat> excuse me but so I got a chance to come down and relieve him during Thunder Valley Nationals when they were running juniors. They actually had a junior dragster shootout. And since those are all my kids, uh, Alan felt I could add some value because I had a relationship with most of them. You know? yep. So that was kind of cool to look out and see all the Fox cameras out there and everything. You know, It's a big ego trip for me because <laughs> I'm just Homer. <laughs> you know, It's just me. So to get to play with the big boys is kind of fun. Cool. Yep. Um... Now, this is, what's the format for most of the tracks? Are most of them running eighth mile? Someone was telling me, yeah, they don't run quarter mile much anymore. Typically not in bracket racing. As far as the uh, the big boys, the pro classes, the funny cars, top fuel and everything, uh, the funny car and top fuel runs to 1,000 feet. 
Okay. They used to run to a quarter mile um, until the Kalita family suffered a bad loss. Mm. Scott was killed at, I think it was English Town. And they said, you know, we really don't need to go. But, you know, at the time, I don't think, I may be wrong on this, I don't think they were over 300 miles an hour in the quarter mile. And now we're over 330 miles an hour in 1,000 feet. I was going to ask so, you how yeah, fast they're going. Yeah, the technology is just, is just <laughs> unbelievable. In fact, if you look out there at the start line, and the camera may pick this up, but they can get an aerial view on Google Earth too. You see where the start line is, the black stripe that goes across the way, yeah, right? Yeah, And in the middle of the lanes, you'll see a black box that has a timing equipment. Yep. Beyond the black box is a white wall, the Christmas trees at the end. Yep. If you look at the end of the wall, there's a black cube there. Yep. That is the 60-foot mark. Yep. By the time the fuel cars pass that cube, they're going 100 miles an hour. <laughs> God. The top fuel engines will burn two gallons of fuel idling every, or a gallon every 12 seconds. A gallon every 12 <laughs> seconds. God. And uh, Alan Reinhardt is quick to point out that uh, when they leave the start line, if you measure the amount of fuel they burn from the start line to the first orange cone out there, they'll burn two gallons of fuel. Just going that <laughs> at, at, what is it, $100 a gallon or nitromethane, whatever it is. is that, yeah, that's what they're running. So, yeah, they don't measure it in miles a gallon. They measure it in gallons per mile. Whew. My gosh. <laughs> Probably, yeah, that'd be, if it was a mile, imagine how many yeah. gallons that would be. Yeah. The car yeah. wouldn't be able to hold it. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's really, but the thing that you don't really appreciate, have you ever been to a, a national? No, Okay, the I thing haven't. you really don't appreciate is the concussion of it. Everybody can handle, you know, you go like this, you can handle the noise. Yeah. What you can't predict and if you there's you, there's YouTube videos out there you can watch of my first experience at NHRA, your internal organs shake. They really do. They shake. In fact, a long time ago, I was standing on aluminum uh, grandstands one time with a buddy of mine, and I was right at the start line. And when we took off, you could feel the grandstand breaking contact with your feet. We were like, remember the old football games where they go, yeah. you know, yeah. across the board? That's what we were like on the bleachers. It, it, the concussion of it is just unbelievable, especially two at a time. Yeah. So. Oh my gosh. So when they do these, the top fuel, um, is it a normal, someone was saying, oh, you could push a button and start. Are they, are they doing a normal start? I mean, how are they starting these cars? Are they... Are they shifting all the way down? Do they not shift? You mean during the race? During the race, like when they when the green light goes off, what are they doing in the car to get it started? Letting go of the brake and stomping on the gas. Yep. And then they put their butt in the sensory mode where they're feeling for anything out of the ordinary. Uh -huh. Particularly if the rear end starts going up, they can feel the tires getting taller. That means they've lost traction. Uh -huh. Right. Yeah. But is uh, and again, I'm stealing a lot from Alan Reinhardt, but it is sport related. Um, it's controlled wheel spin all the way down the track. They never have complete traction. If they get complete traction, the tire wads up, tires start to shake, and that aborts the run. Uh, but if they don't get enough traction, they spin the tires, right? Yep. So, so they're constantly trying to slip the clutch, okay? <clears throat> the clutch is computer-driven. They change gram weights on the levers of these arms. At the last second, they'll make changes to the clutch, so that it slips to a certain point and then about half track you'll hear it start load up to where it's full lock going on down the rest of the way <laughs> but yeah we want it to grip to here that's why they're watching the people in front of them oh they slipped here they slipped there well, we adjusted so we got more clutch here less clutch here the science is unbelievable 
Um, but the neat thing about it is, even if you don't try to understand that, 330 miles an hour is really cool to watch, yeah. even if you don't even understand how it happens. And a 1,000 feet, too. Yeah, yeah, 1,000 feet, what, yeah. Um, how is that compared? It's somewhere between an eighth and a quarter mile, I guess. A 1,000 feet, if you look very carefully down the left wall, yeah. you'll see two orange things hanging uh -huh. out the side. That's the eighth mile. Okay. If you look down a little further, the wall jumps up six inches. I see it. That's a thousand feet. Okay. That's wow. a thousand feet. Man, three hundred and thirty. Yeah, yeah. That's it's just unbelievable. Do you think it's going to get much faster? <clears throat> Boy, I uh, I don't know, but you know, at, at some point, God, I I hope the body can withstand. Yeah. What they're doing. I understand one of the biggest injuries to uh, NHRA racers, especially in the fuel categories, is detached retinas. <laughs> and and I, I don't know enough about that to understand if that's on from uh, launch hard or from the chutes coming out. Yeah. But I know rarely, rarely, and only by accident will you ever see one, two of those parachutes deployed at the same time. They're designed to come out staggered because there's just too much deceleration at once. Got it. So, you know, I don't know. My gut always fears all those G-forces at once and then picture somebody blacking out. You yeah. Know? yeah. Fortunately, there's so much technology now. The crew chief stands on the start line. He can shut the car off anytime he wants now. Okay. And there's sensors on the car. If you go across the finish line and don't let off, it'll kill the car. And there's all kinds of other things. If yeah. anything goes wrong with the injury, pressure, pressure switches can trigger this thing, shut the whole thing down, and deploy the parachutes. Oh, there's wow. a lot of different safety measures yep. uh, in place. So, uh, yeah, it's. I'll be honest with you. If, if one went down there 300 miles an hour and the next one went down there 330 miles an hour, I couldn't tell the difference yeah. from the grandstand. I just want to see a close race and <laughs> a lot of noise. Now, know. on the bracket racing, um, they literally leave at different times such that more often you're than not. trying to get them to the finish line at the same time. Right, right. Okay. It's always handicapped so that if both of them do exactly what they're supposed to do and have perfect passes, they'll end up at the finish line at exactly the same time. Interesting. That way you can race the tree on the start. Yes. And you can race the other driver at the finish yeah. because you want to be the first one to the finish without going faster. Mm -hmm. Alan Reinhardt always says, if I want to be the first one of the line, I don't want to be the first one by much. But if I'm going to be the second one of the line, I want to be three blocks behind the other guy. Yeah. Because he might break out. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of strategy that goes <laughs> on. And they talk about, oh, I dial a certain amount of numbers into the box to let me do this and let me do that. And, you know, oh, it's just unbelievable. It's really cool. It's, <laughs> cool. it's a cool sport that I didn't even understand until 12 years ago. And once I understood how bracket racing works, I got a chance to watch one and see the timing and how it all shakes down. Yeah. A lot more interesting than stop on the gas first one of the light wins. Yep. You know. If there was uh, one or two events, drag racing events, that I should go to and cover and meet people and interview them, which would you suggest that I do? I think everybody would probably say, Thunder Valley, got to come to Bristol. Of course, I'm going to say that. Yep. Um, Pomona. Gainesville, Indy, but Indy is called the big go. That's the one that all the NHRA drivers <clears throat> seem to want to win. Um, that's the granddaddy of them all. Pomona, of course, California, that's kind of where this whole mess started. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have the, uh, typically the season beginning and the season ending race have been there for years and years and years. They've just changed it around for COVID and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Uh, Gainesville is also another one, home of the Gator Nationals. That's a that's a monster event. But uh, which of these are you going to be announcing it? Oh, I'm not. I'm not a big guy <laughs> announcer. I leave that to the Joe Costellos, the Brian Loans, you know, the Alan Reinhardts. Um, but it is kind of cool to hang out with the guys. You know, yeah. I've I've been fortunate enough that. Allen's got into Bristol for the Thunder Valley Nationals, typically a day or two ahead of time for the last few years, and I've been able to treat him to dinner. And uh, just to sit there and listen to the stories is better than going to the race sometimes. Yeah, know? that's fantastic. So uh, now is he is he going to be here tomorrow? <clears throat> no, Allen Reinhardt. Uh, gosh, I'm embarrassed to say I've been so focused on the juniors, I don't even know where the big boys are. Um, but he does all of the, the the stuff you see on TV. Yeah. He's doing the track broadcasting for the stuff you see on TV. Got it. Brian Loans, Joe Costello, um, and then uh, Jason Logan. You got two two Jasons that are out there and put on the whole show for the Awesome. All great guys. Just really good guys. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, it's been, it's been great meeting you and getting to know a little bit more about this sport. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, I hope I can help. you got to get out and see some fun or something. I do. I do. I, I'm going to do that. So it's awesome. Thank you. I want to thank you for listening to Driven to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. If you like the content, please share and like. But I have one ask for everyone listening. I would appreciate more than anything to add you to my weekly newsletter. Simply visit my website, driventocompete.com, and you'll see a form to get on my newsletter where I share exclusive content and giveaway swag.